gives you a little picture of uh, some things there in the country. I do want to mention that on the back table we have uh, prayer cards. Everyone's more than welcome to take one. At the bottom on the back, we have put together just a simple website so we could put in other videos that we took when we were there in the country, other pictures. There's lots of things on there. You're welcome to look through that. It might give you a little bit of a, a, even a better understanding of the people in the country and some of the notable sites. Of course, there's some very convicting sites there in uh, Burma. Um, it's the place where Adoniram Judson, uh, you know, the first missionary, translated the Bible. So, so I've got a Judson Bible uh, up here. It's keep it with us on the back table. We finished this Bible translation in 1834 and uh, had a million reasons why he could have quit. Uh, while he was working through this, uh, by the time he finished this, he had already lost, again, his first wife, Anne, and their first three children. Uh, he'd been in prison for nearly two years, um, wondering day by day if he was going to survive. But he just was convinced of the need of uh, the Burmese people to have a copy of Scripture. And so he did complete this himself. It's one of the great gifts that the country of Burma has had since 1834 is a completed Bible in their own language. And so keep this back there as a, so you can see a little bit about what the Burmese script looks like, but also be reminded of great uh, sacrifice that Judson and others uh, made uh, in this country for the sake of the Lord. Um, I also want to uh, thank Pastor Dean for the opportunity to come. We talked a while back and then he talked to us about the, the fact he would not be here, but uh, grateful for him. And so ironically, uh, he and I were roommates in Bible college. Oh. Yes, together for a whole year and we lived to tell about it. Uh, so room 10 uh, at, at the college and uh, I started one year before him, so I was really mature when he came. Um, about that. Um, but it's a blessing to think about that room. And uh, of course, you know, following uh, Brother Dean and how the Lord guided him step by step uh, Mission Field, Oregon, and now in Elmira. Another one of our roommates is principal of a Christian school serving the Lord, and then the, the other one. Is down uh, in southern Mississippi serving God faithfully too. So we're blessed those memories and thank the deans for keeping us one time at their house. Years ago, uh, we were on a college ensemble and we were up in Oregon and the next day we were to climb Mount St. Helens. Because why? I don't know why, but because we were <laughs> supposed to climb Mount St. Helens. And Mrs. Dean made us an awful nice meal that took us, gave us enough energy to get to the top of that. So, uh, but uh, praise the Lord, thankful for you all. And uh, again, for the opportunity to, to be here this evening. And uh, we're grateful the Lord's been good uh, to Jennifer and I um, through our lives. Um, we were both raised in Christian homes. Um, but just to back up a little bit, my, my dad was raised um, near Baltimore on a farm. And uh, he faithfully attended church as a boy every Sunday morning. I asked him about that, and he told me this. On Sunday morning, he'd go to church, and the pastor kind of had the same type of message when dealing with salvation, and that's this. When you get to heaven, your good works are going to be put on one side and your bad works on the other side. And so uh, you make sure you do enough good works to get to heaven. Otherwise, you won't get there. And so that's what he was raised 
thinking and trying to just be good to earn his way to heaven. Um, uh, <clears throat> he got out of high school and uh, in 56 and wanted to spend some time serving his country. So he went in the Air Force and uh, after his time in, in Lackland uh, there in Texas, he was stationed at Scott Air Force Base just outside of St. Louis. And one evening in November, around Thanksgiving, a friend of his said, Hey, Gary, they're taking buses down to into St. Louis, uh, the St. Louis Arena. And there's a preacher there, an evangelist, is going to preach. You want to ride with me? Come along with me. He said, Yeah, I'll ride with you. So I hopped on that bus and uh, made that journey down to St. Louis, got in the St. Louis Arena, and heard a man open the Bible and preach God's Word about salvation clearly for the first time in his life. And he preached the fact that we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, not of works. And that's stuck in his head, lest any man should boast. After listening to that message, he went back home, went back home, went back to his barracks and reviewed those verses that he'd written down and got on his knees and asked the Lord to save him there as an 18-year-old young man. There's a group of people that cared about these servicemen, and so they kept him supplied with Bible studies all through those four years um, of the service. And he came out of that time just uh, wanting to get into a church that opened the Bible and taught it and preached it. And uh, in meeting my mom, uh, he raised us faithfully in church, and my mom was raised in southern West Virginia, a coal miner's daughter. Her dad got out of World War II in the Army Air Corps and went back home to uh, southern West Virginia and went into coal mines like most in that area did. And when she was just a nine-year-old girl, a little neighbor walked across the street to her house and said, hey, Sandy, would you wanna come with me to church on Sunday? And uh, in the end, she came, my grandpa ended up driving her there. And uh, we go by that church usually once a year. My mom lives with us now. She's lived with us for about four years. My dad passed away about four years, five years ago. But we'll take mom, it's a little bit of a drive, about nine hours back down to Southern West Virginia. And I'll drive her past that little white church in the hills. And she says this, that's the place where I first learned about Jesus. She heard the gospel that day. A nine-year-old girl got saved. And I'm thankful for that testimony. And God loves everyone. He wants all to be saved. And uh, so I'm thankful for my parents. Uh, my dad, uh, he wanted to be a missionary. God didn't have him do that, though. He got into business and opened up a car repair shop. Midas Muffler. I don't know if they're still around this area or not. But he scrimped and saved and mortgaged everything and bought into a Midas franchise. And he worked that business through thick and thin for over 30 years. And, um, you know, <clears throat> grateful to watch him, even in that business, just put God first. Uh, I'm blessed that he brought me along with him to the church work days and the church visitation times. And once a year, there would be an area-wide revival in our area. And I, I watched him as he one by one went to the different mechanics and said, would just like to give you an invitation to join me tonight at the, at the church revival. 
I remember the great joy on his face one night when uh, we were sitting down. It was actually tent revival, sitting under that tent. And saw one of the guys, got off work, got cleaned up, came back in, brought his girlfriend and a couple of kids, sat down and heard the gospel there in that tent revival. So really grateful for his testimony of just serving the Lord right where God had him at and uh, just being a faithful uh, father, a faithful husband. And uh, he lived to the age of 79 and passed away five years ago. He's buried down a veteran cemetery in Grafton, West Virginia. So blessed memory for him. And my wife's uh, mom and dad are still alive, very much up in years. They still live in Southern West Virginia as well, but just uh, grateful for them. Um, grateful the Lord's given us four children. Our oldest two are married. Uh, and uh, our, our son, Levi's our oldest, uh, he married Bethany. Bethany's dad pastored up in Alaska. And so we had a, a wedding in Alaska to get to in July of 2020. Do you know what that might have been like? That was an adventure, to say the least. Somehow we made it through. We were going to get there one way or the other. So, uh, And God's given uh, us from them a grandson, Jack. And we just heard a few a couple weeks ago, another grandchild on the way. And so we're excited about that. And then our next daughter, Juliana, uh, just got married in August. And her and her husband are working there at at the college that we went to and worked at for those many years, Fairhaven Baptist College. And so we're grateful that she also is near our mom, uh, and my mom, and she helps to take care of her as well. And my youngest two are both in Bible college. And so... Lord willing, Jennifer and I will move to Myanmar in the end of January is our goal. And um, love to have our kids there, but I think they're just going to be visitors at this point. Um, so four years ago, my oldest son was getting ready to get married. And a man had encouraged us at our church at one time, if possible, try to get on a missions trip with your kids before they leave the house if you can. And so it worked out for my son and I to go. And together we really wanted to get to Myanmar, Burma, because ah, there's a lot of great Baptist missions history there. But the other reason was in the news, we had been hearing that starting in about 2012, 2013, for the first time in about 50 years, there was the Myanmar was uh, kind of becoming open uh, again uh, to outside investment, to tourists, Etc. And so kind of excited about that opportunity. And so we went there and man, was it exciting, you know, just seeing the people. Um, there was an excitement among those in the country had been under a first a dictatorship starting in 1962. And that lasted for about 27 years. Then the military took control. They had really ruled the country for the next 20 years. Things had just slightly changed with these free elections and the people were excited. And uh, it reminded me of the opening that um, was big when I was my first year in Bible college, 1990. And the USSR had uh, kind of fragmented, and now these countries were open to the gospel. And I can't tell you the number of men that came through and preached and just put that burden out and said, boy, this is an opportunity. We want it. Let, let's pray. Maybe God would have you go to one of these newly opened mission fields. And so I remember praying about that and I was so excited about that possibility. And uh, I, I called my dad when I was in Bible college and said, Dad, can, can we maybe go? And he said, yes, we'll go. And I don't know how he did it, but he got 
the two of us over there for about 10 days into Romania, and I prayed, Lord, is this where you want me to be? And in the end, he had me stay put for 30 years there at the Bible College. I'm grateful for that. It was the job of a lifetime. Young people from across the country coming in uh, to learn the, the Bible, to be able to teach them and spend time with them. It was, we're just blessed to have that opportunity. But being back in Myanmar, thinking about this similar opportunity that now is in this country, it was just a lot of people asking, where's Myanmar? I don't even know where that's at. Well, the name change throws everybody off, but also they just kind of close themselves off uh, to a large extent. And so that uh, just really kind of burned in my heart. So I got back home from that trip and I went to Jennifer. I said, we've got to do something for this opportunity here in Myanmar. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity right now. So I got approved to put together a missions trip, guys only, uh, for three weeks. And uh, we planned that out uh, the first three weeks of August 2020. We had this trip planned out. So January, February, we're excited. I had like eight or nine guys ready to go with me for this. And I was praying, Lord, surely one of them, you'll guide and lead to go back to this country and help meet this great need. And March 2020 changed everybody's plans for a while and definitely changed the plans on that trip. But uh, it's through lots of scripture reading, lots of sermons, lots of time in the Bible, lots of time in prayer, the Lord made it clear that it wasn't those guys, it was it was us. So then I talked to Jennifer, and I wondered, how, Lord, how am I going to do this? I've been kind of settled here for a long time and, and, and you know, blessed and, and happy with what we're doing. Um, so I, I, I got the nerve up uh, and uh, explained that to her, and so grateful for her and her willingness to come right alongside and... Uh, to join in this wonderful opportunity. Um, since that time, Myanmar, if you follow the news, kind of, it's not quite as uh, free and open as it was even just three years ago. However, the way to get in is still there. It's creative access, but we still have the opportunity to get in there. And uh, grateful that we have met Pastor Tong uh, who is a Burmese uh, man who um, started Bethany Baptist Church about 20 years ago. And uh, through the years, his faithfulness has opened up other kind of doors of ministry. One of those is an orphanage. Of course, countries like this, there is no foster care. There's no government help for the orphans, and there is so many of them. So they'll end up at one of two places, well, they'll end up under some type of a church organization's care. And the default place would be the Buddhist monastery where they'll get their heads shaved and get dressed in orange if they're boys and pink if they're girls. They'll give them a bag and their job will just to be go about the town begging for food and people will give them uh, food because they're a part of the monastery and, and be a part of tending to the different hundreds and hundreds of Buddhist pagodas that are throughout the land. Um, or, uh, Pastor Tong said, uh, got his church okay to build an orphanage there as well. And so 40 orphans live at the second floor of Bethany Baptist Church in Yangon. And uh, we're grateful that we'll get to work with them just recently. One of the young ladies that uh, was taken in as an orphan uh, uh, 
uh, finished uh, her time there and in her early 20s, just got married to a young man uh, who, and together they are starting a small church on the other side of Yangon. And so from this really labor of love, uh, we're excited to see what God could do and will do through that. Um, for many years, these kids were sent to the local school, which really is simply a Buddhist school. Uh, but the opportunity to put a small Christian school in the church property opened up as well. So Pastor Tong built an ACE learning center, got some paces from the states. He knows enough English to teach these kids uh, English to read the paces. And so there's a small Christian school there as well now. We're excited while we're learning the language that we'll have that opportunity to be around those people and to um, serve in that ministry there. A pastor uh, loved uh, from the States, he really loves the country of Burma, has been there many times. And a few years back, he was with Pastor Tong and they were witnessing to a Buddhist monk for an extended period of time, over the course of a number of days. In time, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that Buddhist monk uh, put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as Savior. And so, with that, the pastor from the States asked him if he would share his testimony about how he got saved, and he did. And then the pastor took that testimony, and then after that, put uh, the rest of the gospel into a very nice uh, gospel booklet. So that's what we have on our back table here. He entitled it The True Enlightenment. Of course, Buddhists are seeking enlightenment. Um, but this track, is written in a way to introduce them to the light of the world, the one true light, Jesus Christ, the one and only way to heaven. And so this is a beautiful 16-page uh, booklet, uh, starting with the testimony of the Buddhist monk who came to know the Lord as Savior. It's filled with scripture, uh, talking first about general revelation, revelation that God gives to all mankind, and then bringing that down into the special revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and Savior. So, praise the Lord, there's a printer right there in Yangon that's printing these for seven cents a copy. And uh, this pastor has helped raise money. There's several hundred thousand of these already printed and in a warehouse, just ready to be given out there in the Burmese form. <laughs> So this is the Burmese version of this same gospel, uh, gospel booklet there. Uh, and so Pastor Tong, who will help, translated this. And so we're so excited uh, that our first term is not just language learning, but we got access to as many of these as we can get out and uh, that we can uh, teach in the Bible Institute there and help the kids in the Christian school and uh, serve the Lord there. Jennifer's got an uncle who lives in Roanoke, Virginia. He's in his mid-80s. When he heard what we were doing, and I know it's a little unconventional, when he heard that, though, he called me up. We were driving down the road, and he said, Dan, tell me, what is this about Myanmar? What is this? I don't know if he's mad at me or what's going on. I don't know what to expect. I just explained to him what the Lord had done. He was really quiet. Then we heard him kind of crying, and he said, I'm going to tell you something you might not believe. He said, here in Roanoke, Virginia, for the last, I don't know, year or two years, every week I get together with a young man who's taken the English name of Jason Moore, but he's from Myanmar, he's from the city of Yangon. 
And uh, together, we prayed for not just Myanmar, we prayed for Yangon, that God would send someone there. And what we did is we divided the city of Yangon up into various sections, and we prayed specifically for a region of that city uh, every week, and we would talk about it. He goes, and I cannot believe that you all are going there. And you know what? I couldn't believe it either when he told me that story. And uh, But I, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. And um, we're, uh, again, happy to serve him. Really grateful to serve him. And uh, excited about what, uh, what the Lord will do. And so you're welcome to... Uh, we have a monthly prayer update. You can sign up for that on our website there. Or email us. That's on the back of the prayer card there. And got some missionary biographies on our back table. There are missionaries from Burma. And uh, so you're welcome to take a look at those. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. And uh, what a blessing it is to see Full House on Sunday night. You've encouraged me, honestly, uh, already. So praise the Lord for that. And, and it's really uh, good to, uh, to be able to be here. We'll look briefly here this evening, uh, just briefly, at uh, the book of James, James chapter 4. Look forward to tomorrow, Lord willing. Uh, Jennifer and I will make our way up to Sacramento. There's an old cemetery up there uh, that uh, uh, is where it's the final resting place of uh, the first Baptist missionary to California, and he started the first Baptist church in San Francisco, and uh, so his... Uh, his graveside is up there, not too far from here, and I'd like to catch some Baptist history along the way on our travels here, and uh, want to see that. And uh, he uh, wrote a history of California Baptists. I thought that was interesting, and he said this: when he came time for him to baptize the very first uh, convert that he saw here, 1849. Uh, the San, the San Francisco Bay was the baptismal uh, pool, uh, tank, uh, plenty of water there, I suppose. And uh, he said, I want us all, he said, I want everybody to sing the song that was sung 30 years before when the very first convert in all of Burma was baptized by Adoniram Judson in 1819. And it was a hymn that Judson himself wrote and they sang that hymn when they baptized their first convert in Rangoon, 1819. And uh, this first Baptist pastor to California, 30 years later, chose that as the baptismal hymn as well. I, I enjoy that. I enjoy learning about that. So we look forward to spending a little bit of time there uh, tomorrow. James chapter 4, and we'll read verses 13, 14, and 15. And just briefly look at this important question that God asks, and I would say asks all of us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. As we look now briefly at your word, we're thankful for this opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for the beautiful hymns we were able to sing, the special for the offertory with the great message, I'd rather have Jesus. What a great song that was. And now, Lord, as we look into your word, I pray that you would allow this question to be something we all ask ourselves. We do our best to answer it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 13, the Bible says, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. 
So verse 13, just to summarize, is a man or some people living their life as they see fit, just working their own plans and living their life um, in their own way, we might say. Verse 14, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away, for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Verse 15, we have people that are saying, we want to live in God's will. Not my way, verse 13, but we want to do what God wants us to do. And how they got from living just how they saw fit in verse 13 to living in God's will in verse 15 was this important question that was asked in verse 14. I'll read it one more time. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? That is a question that is all of us do well to ask ourselves about that. Now, in this verse, certainly we're reminded of the brevity of life because our life's compared to a vapor. We see it and then it's gone. And certainly um, life, time moves quickly. Uh, my dad uh, had some um, old business books uh, that he passed down to me. And one of the books was What I Wish I Had Known 25 Years Ago. And it was a survey done to several hundred um, CEOs and leaders of businesses. So fairly important people were asked, what do you wish you knew 25 years ago? And one of the responses uh, in that book uh, that was given by one of these business um, executives was, I wish someone would have told me two things. Number one, that when I turned 40, time would seem like it was going twice as fast. And then when I turned 50, it would seem like it's going 10 times as fast. I remember that. And last November, when I hit 50, I thought, you know, that's true. There's a lot behind and maybe not as much ahead. And to ask ourselves, okay, so that, so what? What is our life? If it's brief, what, what about that then? Is there anything to be done? Any decisions to be made because of that question? What is our life? So our, this question, I think, can be divided up three simple ways. Number one, it is a question for the present, for right now. The question is not, what was your life? Well, the devil's good at that. You know, all those years, what did you do? You wasted, no, no, no. That's not this question about what was done in the past or not done in the past. This is just a present question right now. What is it? And I love the fact that it's in the present tense because if it's in the present tense, that means there's still something that can be done. There'll come a time when all of us will have to ask ourselves, we will, all of us, what was my life? Because it will be passed. And so it's going to pass by quickly. We do know that. But right now, here we are. It's a question for the present. What is it right now? And uh, Paul had to even say that. He said, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forth on the things that are before. So we're reading this question. It's in the present. Now, what's left of that vapor fast life for some in here? It's going to be a different amount of time. None of us know what that time is. None of us do know what that time is. It's a question for the present. It's also, number two, a personal question. What is your life? So this is where we stop 
and looking around at others and asking about them. Well, what about them? What about no, this is for us as individuals. One day we will face God as an individual. Praise the Lord for good church, for good friends, maybe good family. Praise the Lord. However, we will, as individuals, give an account of ourselves to God. So this question is one not to think of collectively, but individually. What is your life? And to meditate on it, to think about that a little bit, ask ourselves personally that. And the last thing I would say about this question, it's a, it's really a penetrating question because it's dealing with our life, which we only have one of. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ for us. We just have one life. And so that question was asked, uh, preached at, uh, in the audience, uh, which there was a very young boy, six-year-old boy. And his pastor preached that message. And at the end of that message, the pastor said, anybody that wants to meet me after the service, come up to the front, shake my hand and say, you know, my life is going to count for God. I'm going to ask myself, what is your life? And I'm going to let God have my life. Line up, tell me that. Well, in the back of the line got this little six-year-old boy. His mom was with him in church. She didn't try to stop him at all. She let him get up there, went and shake his pastor's hand. He said, Pastor, I'm going to serve God with my entire life. He didn't know at the time his life was only had 19 more years left. Yeah. He passed away at the age of 25. He lived in the most beautiful mansion you can imagine on Lakeshore Drive, um, Magnificent Mile in Chicago, overlooking uh, the um, Lake Michigan. Uh, his neighbors were, was a couple, uh, of a marriage of a Rockefeller and a Roosevelt. <laughs> that was neighbors. <laughs> but his dad, William Borden's dad, had made it uh, tons of money in the mines out west. And uh, so he built this beautiful place. And, his dad very much committed to uh, making money. William Borden, from the time he was six, and this message was preached, just wanted to serve God. His mom prayed for him, prayed that he would indeed follow through and do that. He got into high school. He was popular. He was super athletic. Um, could have, um, you know, most likely to succeed in about anything. Um, his dad said, before he goes to college, before he went to college, so I'm going to give you a special gift. His gift was an around-the-world trip, an around-the-world trip. And this is in the early 1900s. He was accompanied by one of the uh, great uh, Bible teacher, uh, and uh, they started, uh, went west from Chicago, and then started in Japan, Korea, worked their way to China, then into uh, Europe and Switzerland, spent some time climbing those mountains. Uh, London, and then back to America a year long. Got back to uh, Chicago, and his dad said, what was your number one thing that you saw? What really stuck with you about that trip? He said, one thing, Dad. He said, when we were in China, I saw a group of 15 million Muslims that live in China, and no one has ever told them about the Lord. I think God wants me to do that. His dad said, is that right? If that's the case, then you're, you're, I'm not giving you... The money out of my will to do something foolish like that and so there are some accounts that william borden wrote some things in this bible no reserves no retreats no regrets about that but he went ahead to uh, what we would consider bible college and and uh, 
and graduated and, and again very popular very athletic but just dedicated 100% to God he got out of Bible college and it came time for him to make his next move his next move he understood before he got married he needed to get some things lined up and settled so first was language school Arabic language school in Cairo Egypt around this time his dad passed away his mom then of course put him back in the will and was just his number one fan uh, so William Borden went to Cairo Egypt and began Arabic studies and uh, he wasn't there very long. Well, one thing we know about his time there is he said, there's 500,000 people in Cairo. I want to get a gospel track into every door. It's the type of guy that he was. He kind of gathered some people together to join him in that effort. Well, that effort never materialized. He got sick and doctors diagnosed him with cerebral meningitis. And uh, they sent word back to his mom. As soon as she got that word, she got... Uh, on her way to travel to try to get from Chicago to Cairo as quick as she could. And um, just a sh literally a short amount of time before she arrived to be with her son, he died, age 25. And some would say, what a waste of life. He never even got to the mission field. But his story got into the front page of almost all the newspapers in America. The heir to the Borden fortune dies in Cairo, Egypt, trying to learn Arabic to go as a missionary. To shorten the story, God used that to inspire hundreds of young people to ask themselves, what's my life? And then to in turn to go to the mission field. And we don't know, God knows, but probably far more people ended up on the mission field through his death even then through his life and with the money going back into the will he had written out in his will something happened to him where he wanted that money to go and other than taking care of his mom millions of dollars went into mission causes around the world right at that time so when we think about this question what is our life it's a present question it's for us right now we have we have time we still do. It's a present question. It's personal. It's for all of us individually. And certainly it's penetrating because our life, just one, one life, will be passed soon. What will we do with it? So I hope this has been an encouragement to you as it's been to me. And I've sure enjoyed uh, talking about Myanmar. I'd be glad to talk a little bit more about uh, that afterwards at our table as well. Uh, but uh, grateful for the opportunity to be here at, at Elmira, Elmira Baptist. And Great to see the building there as well. Praise the Lord for that. Trust God will bless uh, you and all these efforts in the days ahead. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together in your house. Lord, we're blessed uh, here again this evening, being around your people. Lord, if there's one here this evening in, in our midst that might not know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that they would get that matter settled. They'd see uh, one of us here this evening and, and, and get that matter settled. His life is so quickly, passes by so quickly. Lord, we don't want anyone to leave here not knowing that they're saved. And Lord, we pray that you would be with believers here, Lord. May we ask ourselves that question. May we respond to it the way that you would have us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.